This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, "Eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. So each Tuesday on Money Talks, we're ready to answer your personal finance questions, but we always try to come up with some topics that we hope will be of interest to you. And today, while we look for your questions, we do have several things to talk about to fill in time between your calls. When you email money at mpbonline.org, we might not be able to get to it on the air, uh, but we will make sure that you do get an answer to your email question as well. All right, so we'd like to start the day with uh, financial news. So who would like to go first? Oh, Ryder, you want to jump in? So my financial news is that everything is happening, and it's and it's happening all of the time. I, I think, obviously, kind of the news over the weekend about uh, the kind of escalations in uh, Palestine and Israel is is one big thing. But this has been happening; things have been happening throughout the year. And I kind of remember conversations with a, a client early on in the year, just very concerned around the debt limit discussion. Oh, this is a really big event. This is a really big thing. We have to. You know, I want to wait until we're over this. This is going to be tumultuous. This is going to be bad for stocks. This is going to be this, 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 this. Well, you know, we had still have the Russia-Ukraine war going. We now also had the shutdown talks. We have the fires in Hawaii. We have election protests in Guatemala. We have the auto worker and the screenwriter strikes. Things big things, big frightening things, which are always threatening every, you know, thing, threatening to derail every you know ounce of human progress ever are always happening. But underneath that, there's still how many people in the world? Six, seven, eight, oh, billions of people. Just hopefully, most of them uh, are fortunate to go about their life. They are going to work. They are spending money. They're moving on. In America here, income is broadly up this year. Uh, More people are employed than ever. Um, Stocks, we had a rough quarter, but they're still up for the year. Recent news has been particularly rough, but again, this news, it's all very short-term stuff. Um, Whereas when we're building investment portfolios, when we're investing in bonds, when we're investing in stocks, we're doing that for longer, longer term things. So owning owning stocks is a long term thing, and it's just so easy to get uh, distracted by. I, I mean, kind of rightfully these large events, you know, local, national, global events, but they are not necessarily, you know, strictly connected to what's going on in the rest of the economy. Well, I do want to address one thing in particular, which is the price of oil. And certainly uh, with this latest news and the attack on Israel, um, the Middle East and what happens in the Middle East, uh, we always focus on that because it those are great producers of oil. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I also want people to understand that uh, the U.S., knowing their dependence on this um, 
imported oil was an issue, is now the greatest producer of our own oil. So uh, we do have some protection there. But it does affect everything. And certainly, we all see the price at the pump. And um, that has an impact on our wallets and our choices that we made. Know that we did see a spike in the price of oil because of this event. We think we're going to see that settle down a bit because there is going to be some uh, maneuvering to get some of the major players, i.e. Saudi Arabia, to uh, increase their supply to help with those pricings. And certainly, uh, Ryder and I were talking beforehand, too, about now the price at the pump has gone down naturally just because, you know, we've settled down with all of our summer travel. Mm -hmm. We're getting back into a routine. So that helps as well. So if you see that go up, it may be just a temporary move for right now. Uh, Just wait a while and we'll see that settle down. Liz Gill, who is answering phones for us this morning, is also a crackpot researcher on the law online, and she has a discovered crackpot. that she's a crackpot. No, well, that, that's, that's a good thing. Is it uh, the Cracker Jack? Sorry, yes, it maybe is. Oh, better. that's maybe okay. that's what. You, mm, mm, maybe. Either way, she does a good job, let's put it that way, and found that the current world population as of Thursday, October fifth. 2023 was 8,064,561,823. Ryder, you're one of the probably the 20s in there with your, your newest edition. So that's, you, you yeah. could have been eight, eight, what, 15, maybe something like that. So anyway, so you're right. Eight billion people. There we go. But I, but I think the idea was, again, because we've talked about this, don't sort of overreact to short term things. Keep the long term goal in mind. That's that's the general idea. Yes, I mean, short term news is it, it can be frightening. It can be very exciting. And there's some things. There's there's things impact stocks and 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 companies in all different ways. And for for the most part, a lot of news items, just something going on, a, a protest, a, a unfortunately a war. You know, those are more short term. Yes, uh, if if a company has uh, has assets that are in a war zone, that is going to be bad for that company and maybe permanently bad for that company. But you know, think about other companies or they're supplying things for a war or for a great economic boom somewhere you know, that that's going to benefit them. But again, kind of longer term, these are just small events. This is that. Oh, yeah, that explains why they had a good quarter or a good year. But it doesn't explain why it's an excellent company to own for the next 20 years. And this happened over the weekend uh, with this news that came out this shock to everyone and to the system. Uh, And we expected to have a really difficult Monday on the markets, but we didn't. Uh, Stocks turned around. And that all leads us back to what Ryder is mentioning is that we were still all carrying on our business. We had really good jobs numbers last week, uh, eye-popping numbers that we were not expecting. Um, We're seeing consumer spending that is holding up dramatically. And I just read an article just a couple of days ago, Kevin, that who's holding up all of this? It's the seniors. We're all out there spending our excess savings. And we're just saying life is short. I don't care about passing it on. Uh, I'm going to take my trip. I'm going to go out to dinner. I'm going to enjoy life. So quick story. I was get a prescription filled the other day and the woman at the pharmacy asked for my bread and blue card. And I was like, what what is that? And is that the Medicare card, I guess? Yeah. And and she said that. I'm like, hey, wait a minute now. Not yet. I'm old, but not quite that old. Got a few years before we get there. So 
Um, I have a, a thought, a, a rant that I want to get to, but more importantly, we have a caller on the line. So let's say good morning to Daryl in Memphis. Daryl, you're on the air with us. Go ahead with your question. Uh, good morning, everybody. Morning. Uh, I, have, I have a question about a preferred stock. Now, as I understand it, um, preferreds are below the bondholders. They can come in second to Correct. bondholders. Correct, yes. And, and um, you can buy them at that stated price mm-hmm. or whatever they may be. But they come with a, I'm going to use, use a figure, like a 5% guarantee. At least mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean that as long as I hold that stock, it's going to pay me that stated <laughs> dividend or interest, whatever it is? Uh, so a little bit. So just to zoom out a little bit, um, the companies have stock or equity, which is ownership of the company, and they have bonds, which is a loan to the company. And a bond is generally considered, you know, not guaranteed. It's guaranteed by the company, but they are expected to make regular payments. And so long as they're solvent, they will do that. Whereas the stock fluctuates wildly, they've got to be making excess earnings for that to grow a lot. And if they uh, are making not a lot of money, then that will shrink a lot. Preferred stocks are somewhere in between. They are, uh, for some purposes, considered stocks, which is why they're called stocks, but they are, uh, a lot of companies kind of treat them like a bond. So like you said, they'll have a 5% coupon or something it's a it's a dividend they can waive it at any time because it is it is a preferred stock issued by the company not just like a negotiated loan or a bond or something um so they do have a dividend there are various types some of them do require if you suspend the dividend that you pay it back later they don't have to pay it generally speaking they will um but they, they are an interesting space in between stocks and bonds. You, you don't ha- there are not a lot of preferred stocks out there. Um, and they do kind of trade like stocks, so you can find them with basically a very... But they don't trade as much as the common stocks. They don't stock. trade yeah. nearly as much. I, and I'm talking, there are not a lot of... I, I don't know the size of the market, but it's when you look for them, they are few and far between. And they just don't trade. Like a, a, a preferred stock issue may trade 1,000 in a day where the actual stock is trading 10 million in a day. People just... It, it's just not a big thing. A lot of people do buy them like you're suggesting and just hold them just for that dividend. And so long as the company is doing well, you're going to get that dividend forever. Uh, some of them are callable. The company can take them back. They'll have to pay you full price for them. So you got to watch out for this. Maybe with of, a premium. Maybe with a premium. Maybe not. Um, th- so they do have a few features that you have to watch for. So in that sense, they're a little more complicated than the stock itself. Uh, they're mm, maybe a little less complicated than the bond. Um but yeah, they're also going to be more volatile than the bond, but hopefully pay a little higher interest. So again, if you're looking for a fixed income, that fixed return, it's 
it's an interesting area. It's an interesting area is what I would say. And you're correct. They are uh, in between those layers of bonds and the common stock at the bottom as far as being paid off oh, if something correct. happens to the company. Mm-hmm. So if a company goes bankrupt, they're going to have to pay their bondholders in line mm-hmm. where those contracts are, are lined up. And then they'll pay the preferred stockholders. Mm-hmm. And then if there's anything left, and most of the time there is nothing mm-hmm. left for the common stockholders. So if you're a common stockholder, you're taking all the risk of ownership. And uh, that means it could disappear, but you could yeah. also have great gains. But preferred stock are for folks who really are looking for income. I'm trying to remember the the tax treatment on those preferred dividends. I was thinking it was not the preferential amount. We need to look so that up. So it may depend on the type of company. I know financial institutions are big issuers of preferred stock. They are big issuers of all, all sorts of debts. Um, and typically it does not, it counts as income. So it is like owning a bond. It counts as income tax so at your income rate. At your income tax not rate. A, not yeah. a special rate there. But uh, Nancy, to point out something really important is in bankruptcy, for the most part, what I have seen is in bankruptcy, the these are they're treated like common stock almost. I mean, it's it's the bondholders that are definitely being paid yeah. out first, and they want to yeah. they want to max that before the and um, the bondholders in in they've many got a lot situations more power because there's a lot more of them. But most of the time, the bondholders don't get paid in full. Mm-hmm. There are it's pennies on the dollar, so that means by the time they get to the layer of preferred stock, you're already behind. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past episodes. Also, if you download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone, you can listen to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. So in a minute, we're going to have some alternatives to stashing your cash in places other than a bank. But I do have a slight rant that I want to go on. So please allow me to hop up on my uh, soapbox here. Well, you have the microphone. Well, that's true. Okay. Went to a chicken tender's place for food last night. And the thing where you swipe your card to pay has a thing about you have to pick whether you tip the first. Right, yeah. And it's, you know, 2015, the other, none. Well, I put none, and I did that because I thought that these people... And everybody glared at you, well, right? No. <laughs> he felt it. Well, no, but he you do have to do it his in, whole meal. in front of the worker with whom you just interacted. Yeah, right. Which, it's like, I, this is nothing personal to you. A lot of you, pressure. But I don't think that you being paid at least minimum wage and have just taken my order, I don't think that deserves a tip. Plus, my question is, if you tip the fast food place, who gets the money? That's a very fair point. I've actually been at restaurants where it did offer a tip there, and I was going to you know, just do a modest tip, and somebody say, oh, we don't get that tip. Don't do that. Uh, oh, so I have yeah. I, I have heard people say that. I mean, that's a fair concern. You know, tips are supposed to, especially in our minds, go to the workers there. But from there, they can be spread amongst the workers in different ways. It's very common for the kind of back staff who's never going to receive a tip directly, the dishwasher, for instance, right. um, to get something. And that's, that's fair. But sometimes the manager is taking some of that, and the manager might be reasonably well paid. Uh, they don't necessarily uh, – well, they may not be. Um, but but then, yes, with a lot of fast food places, that's a fair question to ask. Do you get the tips? Who gets the tips? Do you get all of the tips? Um, 
you know, kind of think about well, think I, about their side as well. Yeah, but I think a lot of people are pushing back on this tipping and feeling like it's become excessive. And certainly if I have table service, if somebody comes and, and takes my order and brings my food and comes back through and checks on me and provides me things that I asked for, I'm expecting a typical tipping situation. But I've had that experience of being hit with a counter um, and everything. And so I think um, I, I think we have permission at this point to either just do something very nominal or to say, no, that's not customary and go our way. Uh, of course, you've got that big screen that they turn around and somebody's <laughs> behind you and we all feel the pressure and oh, no. And um, am I shorting someone um, at this point? With the labor market as tight as it is, many of those workers are paying, getting paid beyond minimum wage because employers are having to pay them at a premium just to hold on to their workforce. So I don't feel the same way about tipping as I did during the pandemic when we were dependent on a lot of service workers and they were putting themselves at risk. Well, the other thing, too, is that I guess it's the next generation of uh, swiping machines. But again, and, and so the, there's another place where they have to explain. They'll say, oh, well, go ahead and hit the green button to, to tip, blah, blah, blah. And so it's just an extra step that you have to navigate through. And again, to me, I guess tipping is kind of personal. I don't want everyone to know how much or if I am or not. And so the, the thing, too, is it's right there. And then some places now have the portable thing where the server will come over and then just stand there while you're working on it. I would kind of be like, I will give you a tip, but I don't know. Do you, do you think my tip is insufficient or whatever? It just, to me, is very socially awkward to do the tip transaction in front of the people who are either, A, getting tipped or, B, not getting well, tipped. Well, and, and if you've traveled outside of the United States, you know that tipping is very different elsewhere. If you go to Europe, um, a, a, you know, they pay their service workers, even your waiters are paid at a certain level, much higher than what our waiters are paid. And so a tip mm-hmm. is just a little bit extra if they if you have exceptionally good service that you would give. It's um, it's not expected at that point. And so for people who are foreign, when they travel here, I've heard them complain about this. And you should be paying your workers a sufficient uh, amount so fair, that yeah. we don't have to make up the difference. But that's the system we're living under. And I do like to, I do try to be generous, especially if you get good service, because as we all know, service at restaurants can vary from, I'm going to bring you your food, and that's the last time you see me till I come around with the thing to pay, while others, as you said earlier, Nancy, will come back, can I get you another drink? Right, yeah. You know, how are things going? That sort of thing. So uh, we've got a caller on the line that wants to join our conversation. So let's say good morning to Andrew in Natchez. Andrew, what's your tipping comment? Good morning. Uh, well, I travel a lot for my job and stop in and get takeout orders a lot. And I think it's ridiculous paying a tip to pick up a takeout order. The prices are so expensive, and uh, I just feel like, you know, it's not my responsibility to pay the workers. I mean, they chose that job, and uh, I just feel like they're gouging you enough with money and uh, I just think it's ridiculous. I don't mind tipping a lot if the service is great. At a sit-down restaurant, I would do try to tip at least something because I know they're working hard, but that's they're actually providing a service there directly to me. They're just not they're picking up and tipping, I think, is ridiculous. And also, I just wanted to ask you a quick money question. Like, 
the politicians all talk about inflation. One party says it's getting better, the other says it isn't. It just seems like prices continually go higher, and I don't know how the politicians on one side can spin that the economy is getting better because I just feel like everything is increasing in price. And I enjoy your show, and I'll hang up and listen. Have a great day. Thanks, Andrew. Any comments? Well, we do have evidence that even though prices are still rising, they're rising at a much slower mm. rate. And um, I was talking to somebody over the weekend and saying, you know, my my 94-year-old father talks about the price of um, gasoline when he was coming along and the price of going to a movie. Um, inflation has always been part of the picture. Mm-hmm. So rising prices are a sign actually of good economic activity. So some bit of rising prices, that's a positive. Now, we had unusually high uh, pricing happening uh, over the last couple of years because of the pandemic, but it is slowing down. And I would say to Andrew, even though he's he's talking doom and gloom with the uh, prices rising, and of course, that leads into the tipping argument. That's another reason people are pushing back on tipping, because they have seen the price of the food go up so much. Um, but these are the same people I can ask the question, but are you working? Are your wages going up? And the answer is yes and all of that. And uh, so there is some offset. So that doom and gloom, I don't quite understand all of that. Yeah, I think, like you mentioned, the high inflation from the past couple of years, that's particularly bad. Prices, yes, naturally kind of are go, go up. Um, and, and, and one of the things when people say, oh, inflation is coming down, people think, oh, prices are coming down. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> the prices are still going up. That is not what is, is typically being said. And, and that can be confusing because this isn't like language and definitions that everybody's just super familiar with. Um, so you don't see some of the more commodity things. I remember the price of eggs was a big point of discussion over last year. Eggs were like a dollar fifty last time I was in the grocery store. Again, just in the past few days. So that has come down significantly. Um, so some prices do come down, but in the aggregate, it just means they're increasing uh, at a slower pace. And, and I do sympathize with anybody who does have trouble making ends meet whenever, you know, because prices are high. And that is very hard for people. But what you see when they to mention, you know, wages going up and things like that. All of these things don't go up in lockstep. You know, your grocery bill doesn't go up 10% on the same day that your salary increased 10%. They happen just sporadically. This price goes up. This price goes up. Oh, your wage goes up later. Things like that. So it's tough. It's it's growth. It's always growing is hard, but but that's what the economy is constantly, constantly doing. And I would say... Um you know, groceries, that's something we deal with on a regular basis. Sometimes it's daily at my house with those trips to the grocery store or stopping to gas up your car. You see that in front of you more often. But the bigger piece that people face is housing. And we have seen a decline in prices there. I was just talking to a group of senior citizens over the weekend, and I could say to them, for many of the people we work with, um, their housing maybe is already paid for 
the house is paid for, or they have a very low interest mortgage. And so they're really ahead of things, but they're still saying, oh my gosh, look at the prices at the grocery store. But if I look at the full picture and how much housing normally takes out of people's budgets, for many people, that piece is already fixed or is not a problem for them at this point. It just feels like these prices are weighing on them because of what they're seeing every day. All right. Now, if I see the tip machine show up at Kroger, I'm going to draw the line there. Yes, you absolutely should. <laughs> a tip on the self-checkout. Be like, does this come back to me? <laughs> Am I being paid here? <laughs> that would be an interesting discussion for a future program is the self-checkout, because there's a lot of controversy swirling around that now. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. So we've gotten on a discussion of tipping. I started the discussion by saying the other day- You did it. You opened the door. At a chicken tenders restaurant, uh, the machine had whether you wanted to tip or not, and so we discussed a tipping. Mojo's on the line from Bolton. Mojo, I think you have a tipping comment you want to give. Go ahead. Well, my tip's the other kind of tip. Okay. Everybody get to the cat. Everybody needs to get to the gas station and fill up because fuel costs are about to skyrocket. And I'm going to say to you that may be temporary. Um, I, we I, don't know. You're you're At correct. Least get your first tank. At yeah. least get your first tank full, and then by the time that gets to a quarter, fill it up again. My main point, though, was not the tip of filling up your tank because of this war taking place and making the gas go up. But your comment earlier that inflation is just a part of a growing economy, I couldn't have it more bass backwards if you tried. Inflation is not a normal situation, and it does not signify a growing economy. Yes, it, it does. Yes, it does. It, it does not. You, you, you don't understand economics to save your life. Um, okay, M- Mojo. Wow, you can come on the show, but I, I'm, we're not going to allow that type of language. Um, Especially, I mean, is he an economics professor? So we appreciate your call, but it's we want to try to remain, Doctor Mojo. We want to try to remain civil when we are discussing things, and people can have disagreements, but let's let's keep it civil. So, so. what one of the things, kind of thinking about wh- why it is sometimes said that inflation is a sign or kind of a normal thing in a growing economy is when a business makes an investment in. A factory. They're going to make a new product. They want to know. They want to. They generally expect that that is going to be something of increasing value. What would be the point of making an investment if you couldn't get some increasing value out of it? Yeah, I mean, yes, sure. If we sold a product for the exact same price for a hundred years, fine. But even more enticing is the possibility that you can you can grow the value of that, Um, and that the asset you invested in. The value of that grows because if we just put money in the ground and just let it rot away, we that's less attractive than I don't know planting a money tree. So that's that's part of the reason. But yes, yeah, some steady again ten percent inflation. That's not like a great sign. People often say shout hyperinflation. I want to say that someone's defined that as like fifty percent inflation a month. Um, 
that is not a good sign in the economy. That's definitely a sign that things are going wrong. But yes, some modest inflation. That's why the Federal Reserve has the like the quote unquote target of two percent inflation. Um, which, if you look longer term, we're we're three percent is definitely above that. Yeah. But um, you know, that's, if you look at not a, great. a really long period of time, yeah. our average on inflation every year is three percent. Of course, it's not yeah. that in every year. Um, I would say that you have rising prices when you have rising demand. Boom. Now, if we had a perfect offset with a rise in supply, then maybe we would not have the inflation. For instance, if, if every time a baby was born, we we had another chicken. One more chicken to help take care of the egg prices of that new baby. Is one more it? one more cow to take care of that new but demand. But it's not going to be perfect. Right. Yes. Yeah. And and also also when you think about inflation, it is not a consistent everything across the board going up by this exact percent. It involves uh, the price of flour doubling and the price of eggs going down by half. It, it involves all these prices changing at different rates all the time. Some going up, some going down. Um so it, it, it's it, it's not that oh my gosh everything all at once is getting more expensive. It's and one of the things the he mentioned at the top of his uh, comment about you need to go gas up your car was about the concern about the supply of oil. So is our supply of oil going to be crimped because of the conflict in the Middle East? We don't know if that's going to be extensive. If it will be temporary, we're seeing a spike that's just. Okay, we're not sure, but we do think that uh, there will be forces that will encourage the supply to increase. Just some context on the oil price. It was recently, uh, in the past month, up at close to $95 a barrel. It fell to about 80, 82 The spike recently has brought it up to 85 Still $10 cheaper than it was weeks, merely weeks ago. Um, I'm not making a prediction about the price of oil and gasoline, but those are very those are very intimately related to supply and demand. Because you bet if if a gas station was sitting there and they sold zero gas one day, they would those numbers on the big board would start to come down until people started buying their gas. We do have a caller on the line, so we say good morning to Charlotte, who's called in from Louisiana. Good morning, Charlotte. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Good morning. Thank you for allowing me to to contribute. I'd like to hear a discussion about the refusal to increase minimum wage to a livable wage while insisting that uh, some workers be recipients of the tips to increase Mm. their wages and Mm. contrast that with what Congress did when they got an earful after voting to increase their own wages several years ago, and now it's automatic. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think the easy target here is politicians. I mean, yes, they do. I, I do think that's a little, mm, I don't know, tone deaf is a little too gentle of a word to say when they increase their own pay for, let's, they kind of have part-time jobs. Um, increase their own pay, and especially like you mentioned, automatic pay increases. I don't know exactly the, the, their pay structure. One, one idea, of course, behind that is you do want, people who can uh, one they do have to live in dc which is an expensive city so uh and they certainly do uh deserve some money for the work they're doing and another idea is that you want to pay people so that 
the the higher quality candidates can can come out, or a more broader range of candidates can come out. As far as livable wages versus minimum wages, I, I mean, I I think everybody deserves to to have uh, a livable wage or be able to live on what they are making. Um, that's certainly true. Um, I would just say when it comes to this conversation about a minimum wage, um, in theory, in theory, we would not have a minimum wage. In theory, the labor market would set the wages. So when you have a tight labor market, and of course, what we're seeing now is, um, you know, we're not worried as much about minimum wage because the labor market is so tight that fast food restaurants are paying twelve, fifteen dollars an hour because they—that's the only way they can get workers. Um, it is a nuanced discussion because a large piece of the, the folks who are minimum wage workers are young first-time workers heading into the, the workforce. And you want them to be able to start working, get some experience, build a resume. But we also have another class of service workers who are adults dependent on that. Um, we started having a minimum wage. I cannot remember the exact year that was enacted. But because we said we were going to have a minimum wage, we should still adhere to it. So even though in theory I said we shouldn't, it's policy, it should at least keep up with inflation. So we haven't had an increase in that minimum wage in quite a long time. Maybe Liz can investigate that when that exactly was. But that means that those folks are not able to keep up. But we could have a two-tiered system where our younger workers could be paid at a lower amount to allow them to step into the workforce so that employers, because of your labor cost is going to be your biggest cost, can afford to employ those folks and train them along the way. And still have adults who are working in those jobs. One of the other issues we found along the way is some of those minimum wage positions were being subsidized by federal programs, um, you know, food stamps, uh, Pell Grants, all kinds of other things because those employers were able to pay less. So it is a complicated discussion. Um, I would be more interested in a two tiered system, and certainly it should be adjusted by cost of living or back to that inflation argument again. All right, uh, Charlotte, we appreciate your call. Uh, We've got another caller on the line, so let's go to Wayne, who's called in from Corinth today. Good morning, Wayne. You're on the air with us. Good morning. I I just had a couple of comments uh, to put things into perspective. In 1979, uh, we hadn't been married long, and we bought a, a really good quality mobile home and reason for buying it rather than uh, building a house was uh, we didn't on the land my mother did and uh, uh, we couldn't get a a house mortgage to build on the land but uh, we do on the land now and the mobile home is still there it's in good shape but my comment was in 1979, we paid 13% interest mortgage on the mobile home. That, and there were house mortgages that were more than that, uh, some as, as much as close to 20%. Uh, so anybody that thinks the, the mortgage rate now is bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's relative, uh, isn't it? Uh, my other comment was uh, the bird, uh, the egg prices are largely due to the bird flu epidemic. Uh, 
that we had last year. It was the worst uh, bird flu epidemic in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And millions and millions of chickens and turkeys were destroyed. So that was that was the main reason that eggs were so high. It wasn't necessarily due to the economy. Right. Yeah. And I, that's why that's why prices now are coming down because that's uh, slowly subsiding. That's a that's a great point, and and I, I brought up the the egg one because that was just such a, a popular uh, one in in headlines for for a while, and, and people of course relating it to the economy. But it was, as you mentioned, there there was another uh, underlying issue, and that's when we talk about commodities again, like oil. There is the issue of how much is being supplied versus demanded, uh, and so some of these things. You know, if gas prices got so high that I couldn't afford to, you know, take a, a driving vacation, I just wouldn't buy that gasoline. So at some point, the the price, you know, kind of tamps down the demand. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotcher Janderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Continuing our tipping discussion. Our uh, engineer, Abram Anani, came in earlier and was saying that he has spoken to some fast food workers and uh, understands that a lot of them are not allowed to receive tips. And so the question came because, again, my concern was if I'm swiping this, how does how would these people at the re- local restaurant even get the money anyway? So uh, to me, like I said, that's just a little bit sketchy. And I guess if you wanted to try to tip a fast food worker, maybe do it on the on the down low, you know, just giving them some money or whatever. But I can say I think a lot of them uh, do have you know, under policies. the table, right? Under right, the table, right? Right. So um, we're going to wait for some phone calls to come in here. Let me touch briefly on my other topic that's kind of retail related, and that is there some, does seem to be some sort of controversy about the use of self checkouts at grocery stores and right. big box stores. Right. And first they, you know, were all the rage, and now it looks like Walmart, I think, is cutting back on them. But it's also you know, people being accused of stealing if they forget to scan something or if it doesn't scan right. I, I kind of like at the grocery store, I like the the self-check because I think you can go a little bit faster. Although sometimes I do prefer to have someone else check my groceries for me. But a lot of times that that's not an option anymore. So Right. And that's what they're doing. They're cutting back on some of those frontline workers. And as I said early, labor is your biggest cost in doing business. And so that's one of the ways they're doing that. Hey, we have got a personal finance question on the line. So let's say good morning to Ann, who calls in from West Tennessee. Good morning, Ann. What do you have for us today? Good morning, panel of experts. (laughs) Um, We have donated items to charity um, throughout the years, you know, whether it's books or clothing or furniture and whatnot, and um, collectible cameras. And I didn't know how you're supposed to determine the value when you're reporting that. And I asked a a thrift store person here, a director, and she said, well, that would be up to you. And and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, there is some, so, so one thing, this will matter when you are itemizing your deductions and you are, uh, and, and, and you and you you get to deduct what all you have you have uh, donated, uh, which given how large the standard deduction is, it's just less less frequent that people are itemizing deductions, especially for smaller gifts. But yes, those are considered non cash gifts to charity, so there's some limits on them. There's some re- extra reporting requirements. 
And the IRS does have a publication. It is Publication 561, Determining the Value of Donated Property. Um, they there are Some things have a very clear value. Some things do not. Um, and this is not just going to give you a raw price list either. Uh, but you can get a rough idea of how to do these things. I think one of the best pieces of advice I've heard, because I, I do give things to uh, thrift stores uh, uh, like yourself. And one of the best things I've heard as a piece of advice is to list out things separately. So even if you're not, um, you know, some of them will give you kind of a detailed list of what you've you've donated. But at least if you keep a, de- a somewhat detailed list of what you've donated and the condition that it is in, because sometimes we donate new things. Sometimes we donate things that um, maybe we shouldn't be donating because they're a little too used. Um, throw those things away, guys. Nobody wants that. Um, so keeping a detailed list of that so that at least you remember what you have and you can back up what sort of valuations you've given and then giving everything a price instead of just saying, Oh, I gave a hundred dollars worth of clothes. You say, I gave this many shirts, which were in this condition. I gave this many shoes in this condition and that, and they were each worth this. Yeah. But you can't always get that. Now I will say, um, you do need to get a receipt. But often they won't detail those receipts, though, That's right? True. They won't yeah. because they're they're busy. You have to keep it yourself sometimes. And but you do need to get a receipt. And I would just say to you, be reasonable of what that amount should be. And uh, typically, there's going to be a line item that says non cash items uh, for charity. And as long as you don't get too crazy with that, I think you're going to be fine. Okay, I just had one question that you referenced um, a resource. Something 561 or something. What is that um, again? Yes. So with tax questions, uh, you know me. I love going to the source. That is the IRS publication 561. 561. uh, Last updated January 2023. Determining the value of donated property. One of the sections it has in here is... um, kind of factors that affect the value and it's it's a list of questions that you should ask yourself about it you know how similar if you're comparing it to something else on the market how similar is the thing you donated to the thing which you are uh comparing it to uh, what would it cost to replace this uh was that what did it increase in value or decrease in value from when you purchased so there's a lot of things to think about and this and this really matters maybe when you're doing uh some lar- you know maybe furniture larger items that you can sit down and and it's worth it to sit down and take the time for and then some very you know if you donate a piece of furniture which is uh, particularly special maybe it was uh some certain in demand um uh, style or something, or I, I know someone who donated a violin. They got a, you could get appraisals for larger things like that, which is there you go. There's your price there, or you can compare it to. So say again, say you're donating old furniture. Maybe compare it to what is being sold um, at an antique store or something like that. If it is it truly comparable to that. All right, Ann, we appreciate your call. Let's see if we can't work one final call in. It goes to Tim, who has called in from Macomb this morning. Good morning, Tim. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yeah, I was uh, wanting to tell you on the tips that when they ask you for it on your receipt, you know, and you pay for it with a credit card, it goes back to the employees, and somehow or another they do it through their hourly wage. But uh, my wife works for McAllister, as I know this, and okay. when they get tips, 
she can make up to two dollars to two dollars and fifty cents more per hour. Mm. Wow! Yeah. Through the tips, they divide them amongst all the employees, and it's, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's fair. That's good to know. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah that, that that makes sense, especially you know, as we said earlier in the fast food, you've got the person who's taking your order, you've got the person in the back who the kitchen, you know, who's preparing the order and that sort of thing. So good yeah, to everybody he- shares in the tips. All right, so you know, that's a good thing. But uh, I just wanted to let you know also that, I, and it don't mean nothing to nobody, but I used to have a dollar named Mojo. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I'm not touching that one. All right, uh, Tim, we appreciate uh, your call this morning. That'll wrap us up for the day. Uh, Just a reminder of our email address. You can use that uh, if you have a question uh, that you need answered. We sometimes can't get to those emails on the air, but we do always give you an answer. Also, if you have a a subject that relates to personal finance that you might want to hear us discuss, uh, you can send it in as well. It's money at mpbonline.org. So, um, my bottom line with tipping would be, you know, if if the service is good, be generous in your tip because uh, it is it's difficult work being in the uh, service industry. Uh, I, I know that from personal experience growing up through high school and college. So that will wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPP Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org. Or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks. So for Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Janderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.